Well, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. What is a canopy, you ask? There are, oh, I was so excited hoping you would get that reference. <laughs> I did. I realized you did. <laughs> I got all excited. Because <laughs> I wrote it. LOL. Love a musical reference. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to throw me off. Okay. It's fantastic. Go. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 109. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are still talking about sphere of influence. Last week, we began a discussion on recognizing our spheres of influence, particularly in the home. Being an effective leader, exacting lasting change that makes a difference. These aspirations require thoughtfulness, cleverness, and integrity. It can be hard work to become someone who influences well and worthily in our spheres, but it certainly bears much good fruit. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from The Modern Lady? Become a Patreon supporter and for just $5 a month, you will have access to extra content. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash The Modern Lady Podcast. You can also support the show by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to iTunes listener Sophia Nance, who left us a five-star review and said, quote, as a stay-at-home mom, I absolutely adore this podcast. It is a conversation of the true, good, and beautiful between two lovely women who feel like your personal friends. I can't stop recommending and listening to this podcast. Thank you, Michelle and Lindsay. Well, thank you so much, Sophia Nance, for your comment and review. It was so nice to hear from you. And may we just say, it thrills us to no end when we hear from you that we have started to feel like friends. We completely feel the same way about our modern lady community and listeners. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. When I was researching etiquette tips for soup serving and consumption, the next topic to come up was canapes. And I just love that word and all its poshness. So with party season nearly upon us, I felt that perhaps we could all brush up on our canapé etiquette. Well, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. What is a canapé, you ask? They are a type of hors d'oeuvre, which are small bite-sized snacks usually served before dinner with cocktails. And canapés specifically have a base of usually bread or pastry. The Spruce Eats website explains, quote, all canapés are hors d'oeuvres, but not all hors d'oeuvres are canapés. The Spruce Eats website also explains the four parts of a canapé. The base, which is a crostini or crackers, pastry shells, or the blini, which is a small pancake. Next is the flavorful spread, like cream cheese, which helps keep the next topping affixed while also preventing the base from becoming soggy. After that, there is a topping of meat, seafood, or even veggies or fruit. 
This is the primary ingredient, so the more luxurious the better. Canapes are then topped with a garnish like herbs or caviar. The main benefit to eating canapes versus other hors d'oeuvres is that one doesn't have to worry about removing a toothpick or skewer. They can be consumed in two bites max with just one hand so that one never has to find a place to set their cocktail. Ideally though, a canapé should only require just one bite, one manageable bite. Neatness is key here. Country Life magazine from England went so far as to say that napkins should not be served with canapés. If they are that messy, messy enough to require a napkin, what's next they ask? A wet wipe? Quel horror! Be sure to consider what cocktails are being served with the canapés. The flavors should be complementary. They should make sense. So, how many canapés should you have ready per person? Returning again to the website, thespruceeats.com, if you are serving them before a sit-down dinner, then two to three per person is fine. If it is a cocktail party with no dinner, then figure four to six per person for the first hour, and then two to four for each hour after that. In total, you will need six to ten per person for the evening. I will finish now with one more sentiment from Country Life magazine, which disdainfully denounced the current trend of mini dinner foods as appetizers, like mini burgers and bite-sized fish and chips. They were also very clear that serving canapes on a large spoon is never okay. That, quote, eating from a large spoon is a private pleasure, not a spectator sport. You can never look elegant engaging in this sort of caper. <laughs> Where do I begin <laughs> with canapes? <laughs> At the My very beginning. <laughs> it is a very good place to start. Yes. Um, um, do you know what? I was actually thinking as you were talking about the size of the canapes, mm -hmm. I was thinking like that is often the struggle, mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes they are too big when you eat them and then you have to decide, are you just going to take it in one big impolite bite yeah. or are you going to try to bite through it which often cracks the base mm -hmm. and then you have a mess on your hands and they don't give napkins so I found all this very interesting but I do like how it is supposed to be in its most pure form it sounds like <laughs> something that is very neat and tidy uh, even going so far as to include some sort of a, a gluish ingredient to hold mm -hmm. everything in place I love that that's right. And when I was reading about it, it did say if you had to make them two bites um, to definitely make be cognizant of the fact that if you bit through it, yeah, would it flop? Would mm. it turn into crumbs like what you're saying? It would have to be a very tidy bite if you had to bite through it so it could remain stable in your hand as you go for the next bite. Now, again, just totally stressed about eating soup, eating canapes. <laughs> <laughs> I say we just skip to the main course. Absolutely. <laughs> It is a noble endeavor to enter our spheres of influence every day and wish to positively impact our world. Last week, we took a look at a diagram from the Sphere of Influence 360's website and focused on the relational aspects of being a strong leader and influence. So this week, we will wrap things up by shifting our focus to the more content-based and practical side of things. Right, Lindsay? That's right. So we're going to jump right back in here using the uh, the diagram that we shared on our social media and that can be found on the website sphereofinfluence360.com. So continuing right along here, the third group is in the lower left quadrant of the circle and it is broken down into these three leadership styles, follow up, clarify, and oppose. Now follow up. 
Follow up is the closest to follow at the bottom of the circle diagram. This style is all about progress. Nothing actually happens unless someone clearly outlines the goals and then follows up. The message here is, okay, I will. Mm-hmm. I was thinking as we were going around this circle and all the leadership styles that this one seems like the least glamorous of <laughs> <Yes>. all the styles. <laughs> But it is much like uh, listen that we ended on last week. I actually think this too is one of the more important ones because this is where the work actually gets done. Mm -hmm. Um, Like get her done, like our first Mm -hmm. episode this season. And so, yeah, like all this talk about the other uh, communication styles, leadership styles is great. Influencing is great. But, you know, without this follow-up work, the goals and the tasks risk falling by the wayside. Yes. And this one reminds me of the management skill I learned during my time at Pier 1. And it's one I've mentioned on here before, uh, but I still use it all the time in running my own household. And it's the inspect what you expect mantra that was drilled into us as the management team. So I learned that you couldn't just give someone a task and then walk over to check on it at the very end and then get angry if it wasn't done exactly how you had envisioned it in your head. These are just Mm -hmm. far too many opportunities, right? For variation and differences of understanding and ability. So if I need something done a certain way, whether it's um, at work or on a committee I'm part of or in my home, I ask that it be done. And then I go and check on my kids or my husband, God bless them. Um, and I gently try to correct their way if it's moving in a direction that will take them away from the end goal that I had in mind. And of course, if we then apply all of the other things that we've been talking about, of course, I can adapt or listen. But the whole mm-hmm. point is that you don't walk up at the end and be angry and go, well, that's not what I said. So it's Mm -hmm. really important to do that follow-up on any project of any size, right? If you're expecting and have your heart set on a certain um, completion. (laughs) That's right. I like what you said there, that it it takes involvement on Mm. your part, right? So a leader is involved in the actual goal itself. So it it isn't like they're uh, disconnected from the task and the work. If we want to be um, of good influence, to other people and especially to our kids and to our families at home, we have to be like physically present um, and mentally present and just as involved and loyal to this work task goal, whatever it is from making the bed to maybe something grander, uh, we have to be like 100% in ourselves in order to do that follow-up work well. Okay, so the next one is clarify. Now, clarifying is the middle style in this quadrant. And in this style, people ask, what are we talking about? Here we look for details in order to fully understand the task at hand or the situation. The message here is, so if I understand you correctly. Yeah, this idea of clarifying is actually now something that psychologists are calling the echo effect I was Mm. reading. And I find this so interesting. Uh, There's an article on the website, theemotionalmachine.com, that talks about how repeating people's words back to them can be really important in building likability, comfort, and social cohesion. And I was like, hmm, those are all things I want in my house. (laughs) And so, yeah, this mimicry, right? Psychologists Mm -hmm. say that it is like a social glue and that it forms a lot of safety, trust, and rapport um, amongst 
teams in that context, but also then too in communities and families um, who need that togetherness aspect. Yeah. So like what you're saying, it does build community. Um, It's a great benefit for both the leader and the follower, or, you know, for me or you, the mother and the child, or for the husband and wife. I know for a fact in the past that I have deliberately avoided opportunities for clarification. And I'll be really honest here. Mm. And this hurts to say, because I want to be able to say at the end, well, you did it the wrong way, where I haven't either sought out clarification on my end, or I haven't been very clear on the other end. Um, and that's another another defect in my personality. But yeah, I would sometimes not, I wouldn't withhold information, but I just might not be as clear as I could have been because I did. There have been times where I wanted to be like, see, I knew how to do it right the whole way um, along. And obviously that's problematic. Um, maybe most of you haven't struggled with that, but seeking clarity in all things is truly always the best course of action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. The it really does keep things like on that proper course, like what you were just saying, right? Mm-hmm. So that is another way to really kind of catch things right at the get-go. Um, if you're trying to get a task done well and correctly and timely, um, then repeating back the other person's proposed plan, you're immediately able to then see like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Or no, that's not what I said. And then, yeah, you can adjust. I think we can also be honest when we talk about clarifying that sometimes if you clarify, you're not always going to end up on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to realize that you were um, hearing them in a different way than what they were trying to say, or you were not getting your point across as clearly, perhaps. And you're going to find yourself in this last section uh, of oppose. That's right. So a post starts under content, which is the left axis, and it's the furthest away from the bottom of this section, which is follow. The first reaction of a pose is yes, but have we thought about this? Now this puts the brakes on. And while this can seem negative, sometimes it is important. The message here is, but wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I feel we did talk about this, but like from the opposite point of view last week, mm-hmm. right? How we were going to say like, yes, but, or it sounds <laughs> yes. good, but, oh, right. and we were going to try not to do that. Right. So now, <laughs> now do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you mean, because even when I was introducing this quadrant, I was on the fly trying to frame it in a positive way, mm-hmm. because you're right. It seems completely negative, like something you don't want to do as a leader or as a team member is to oppose something because it seems like it's going to take away from getting a task done. But I think if we really think about it, it can be a valuable asset in a social setting. So when you're surrounded by yes men, like people Mm -hmm. who just agree with everything, two things I think can happen um, really. Number one, you miss out on another potentially better idea. And number two, it does kind of get boring after a while. (laughs) So, you know, we said last week we're big fans of debate. And I think Mm -hmm. that this is a great example of this style of oppose. Studying good debate shows how polite opposition often brings up better and deeper questions. And it can help us get closer to the heart of the matter versus just staying safely at the surface. Absolutely. And every good leader needs to 
welcome that, right? They need to be able to mm-hmm. be open to it. Um, this one stopped me in my tracks. Again, I'm, <laughs> I have so many things to work on. Um, I have a very habitual <laughs> oppositional streak within me. My default is to oppose someone. Um, and I can honestly say it isn't always negative. I'm not always just trying to prove someone wrong. But it's often a response um, from my need to control things. And my need to control things is a trauma response (laughs) I've developed over the years. So as I learn to understand this within myself, and perhaps many of you are on that same journey as well, and trying to really understand, you know, some trauma that you had had and how you respond to it. um, You know, we're just, we're trying to work through that. So I do say yes, but... And I say it as a way to kind of gain back some of the control because I do feel like an instant anxiety if I feel like my control is in jeopardy. Mm. I'm working on this, especially in my marriage. I have to, and I know this sounds silly to so many of you, but I have to constantly remind myself that Jason and I are on the same team. Like we're on the Mm. same side. That's not what society tells you about husband and wife. And again, Mm -hmm. we spent the first Mm -hmm. decade of our marriage very much in a secular society uh, with all of that narrative around us. And so it's, you're very much set up to compete with each other. Very, very different from like the Christian or Catholic sacramental view on marriage. And so you add in my trauma response of needing to have control uh, and, and then saying yes, but, and needing to seize that come back. Also this um, inability to not being able to always trust everyone else's intentions and you get a very oppositional person. No, but I think you have a point that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there can be the extreme form of being oppositional or to oppose Mm -hmm. somebody for sure. But what this diagram is alluding to is that having two sides of one coin is important to having Mm. the whole coin. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like you do have a right to your own opinion. And Mm -hmm. in most situations, like you, you should feel free to express it in a diplomatic and polite way. Right. And so for me, I think that's something that I'm coming at from the other side is that I'm trying to learn that to oppose isn't always necessarily a really negative or aggressive thing that I can speak up a little bit more in conversation with people and not feel like just because I'm asking, but wait a minute, is not like uh, being perceived as a personal attack from the other person. Right. Absolutely. Like that yes. This is a conversation. Yes. Yeah. And because and I can tell you, honestly, as somebody who is more oppositional, I I have no issue with actually somebody coming back to me with that because it is just naturally mm-hmm. how I process through things. So I expect it and I respect it in somebody if they say to me, but wait a minute, uh, then mm-hmm. I feel like we can actually have a proper discussion because I don't like yes men. I, I can mm-hmm. see right through that, right? So it is about learning a better way of doing it. And that's when we use the circle as a whole, right? Um, right. It's not like we keep joking about just moving along it going, um, yeah, I passed this section. Yay. And that's not how this works. So it is about using mm-hmm. all of these things, um, as part of the whole. So yeah, I, I'm trying to learn from the other areas of this about how, op, uh, oppose works into the greater, le- like all of the leadership styles together. Mm-hmm. All right. So this brings us to the very last quadrant, the very last section of this diagram. And I've seen it being called the output quadrant. Mm, Yes. So we're looking now to the upper left quadrant of the circle. It is also broken down into three leadership styles. The first is convince. The second is instruct. And the third is direct. 
Now with Convince, this leadership style is closest to the Connect axis, and its style is based on clear opinions, being outspoken through the use of arguments, and the goal is to convince others. The message here is, in my opinion... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm already I'm laughing. A little chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chuckle about this one. <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, but you know what? So this is like, if you remember the, uh, it's, I'd say mirror opposite on this diagram is inspire. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think convince is very close to that and very closely related. Um, but I think that we all want to inspire, but we don't want to come across as aggressive, like mm-hmm. we were just talking about. And so to do um, convince well, then we have to make sure it is effective, I think. So I was reading about uh, rhetorical persuasion, and this mm. was by Aristotle. Uh, rhetorical persuasion is the art of convincing, and it has three pillars, and all three must be present in your argument or opinion to be effective. So they are ethos, logos, and pathos. So ethos, this is yours or the speaker's credibility. You have to establish Mm. why you're credible to speak on this. The logos is the appeal to logic or reason. Why is this good? And then the pathos is the emotional appeal. What, What would this mean for you? If this were to come about, those are the three pillars of a rhetorical persuasion to convince somebody of something. And, you know, there are a lot of things we may have to convince others of in day to day life, especially us as mothers. I feel like I'm trying to convince my kids all day long to do things (laughs) they may not necessarily want to do. But I do find it very helpful then to kind of see Aristotle's three pillars and see like you're not going to maybe explicitly say each individual things in words, but you can live some of those things out, like especially your ethos. How do you live? I feel like that can speak constantly to your credibility in whatever walk of life you're in. And then, yeah, just to realize that people are persuaded often both by logic and by the emotional appeal too. Okay. I love that so much. I've never heard of rhetorical persuasion um, like that. Mm -hmm. And again, I know we say this a lot, but that has to be a whole episode on its own. Like there's so much in what you just said. So um, Mm -hmm. I think we can say that we're definitely going to do that in the future. (laughs) So convincing people, um, this is a skill of mine. And I have to say again that I've used it maybe for not the best purposes in the past, Um, but I'm pretty good at convincing people to do stuff. But like you were saying before with the yes men, it never Mm -hmm. felt good to be on that. It might feel good for a split second to know you've convinced people, but if you know you've done it out of the wrong leadership ways, right, out of intimidation or fear, um, it doesn't actually leave the other person feeling good either. And so it's just not the right way to go about it. So I love those three um, elements of rhetorical persuasion that you were talking about. Now, Mm -hmm. when I became a Christian, I've realized that my opinion no longer isn't just my own. It's, It's deeply rooted in my faith, right? It's informed by scripture. And so when I'm trying to reflect the will of God, (laughs) above and beyond everything Mm. else. I'm not selling people on what I desire anymore. I'm not having to convince people Mm. because my identity is different. And that's a huge shift in my life. So if I'm trying to use like to convince people of anything, 
my will is always to serve God's will. So that is definitely the foundation of everything like that now. And and it is, it's a huge, hugely different way of approaching anything I'm trying to convince people of now, because yeah, it's not my opinion. Mm. Okay. So what I'm really trying to say here is, so it says the message with convince is in my opinion. And so I think for most of my life, it was my opinion, but my opinion isn't just my opinion anymore. You know, it is, like I said, rooted in scripture and tradition in the church, um, but in what God wills for me, um, for my life. So yeah, it's not my opinion. And that definitely changes my approach in any time where I feel like I might, as a leader, um, need to convince somebody of something. That's so interesting that you say that because it reminds me of last week when we talked about connect mm-hmm. and we we spoke a little bit about separating ideas from identity. Oh, yeah. So, th- yeah, that's what I'm hearing you talk about. Like your whole approach to convincing is rooted in this um, new identity you yeah. have like as a Christian and in your faith. And I really like that because that's, um, that's integrity. That mm. is authenticity, right? It's, that's your ethos. <laughs> wow. Essentially. Wow. Look how we just tied all <laughs> that in. Look at me go. <laughs> Um, and like what you were saying, so you're not going to open every persuasive um, statement with like, I'm Lindsay and I am a Christian <laughs> right. and this is where the logos is coming from. It's like, right. no, you live your ethos right. um, in most contexts, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that you said that, that that is your identity. That's where you're rooted in. And so from there comes the leadership style that will just naturally convince The next one is instruct. Instruct is in the middle of content and lead, and it is as it sounds. Clear instruction is used to convey what others need to do in order to complete a task, and this involves actual training of people. The message here is what? (laughs) Which made me laugh because it's so short. (laughs) I know. I'm like, what? What? I'm confused. Okay. (laughs) I know. I was going to say, it makes me picture someone barreling in to correct a problem, (laughs) and everyone in the room's just like gaping at them, and they shrug, and they're like what? what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I know that's not what, what they mean here. Yes. Um, so what I think what, about when I hear about this style of instruct is the need to be, like you said, clear and direct. Um, as someone who perhaps drifts more often to the other side, the relationships side of this diagram, mm-hmm. this is a style that can be difficult for me sometimes because I have trouble uh, separating the task needing to be done and my relationship with the person. Mm. So I tend to worry a little bit sometimes that my instruction may come at the cost of our rapport. Mm. And that what I am seeing in this section is that that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. Um, I, I just, I, I love sometimes how different, we, like, I've never given that a mm-hmm. thought. You're saying that and I'm like, yeah. I've never <laughs> once thought. And then I think I should think that a little bit. Like, again, it's just showing how you want to move a little bit mm-hmm. that way, right? I want to move a little bit that way, the other way. Um So I think my instructions are very clear, but my husband reminds me all the time that my instructions are 
all over the place. And he's right. He really is right. I'm, I'm a fast mm-hmm. thinker. I'm a fast talker. And I realize that I've already had about 70% of the conversation inside of my own head before I <laughs> open my mouth. And I forget yes. <laughs> that the other person wasn't present in my head for that conversation. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's so presumptive of me to conduct both sides of the conversation within my own head. Um, and I've also learned once again, that I can't fault the other person if, if I was get, like having that conversation with in my mm. own head and that if I didn't give them proper instruction, it is no fault of their own. That's totally on me. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I've had that happen to me too all the time. I wonder if that's just, um, I wonder if that is common maybe mm-hmm. with mothers. I think so. <laughs> because we move so fast mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time. There are some times where I'll say a statement out loud like what you were saying. <laughs> yes. And then I'll look at Phil and I'm like, okay, follow my thought process. <laughs> and then I'll start back at our previous conversation that we had five minutes ago. And I'll say, we talked about this. And that made me think about this, mm-hmm. which made me think about that, which reminded me of this. And yep. now I just said that to you. And then he can, he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're right. Yeah. To be instruct means um, that, yeah, you have to be direct. And that's something that we can't leave out of this quadrant for sure. And I feel like this one can be exhausting, exhausting, Mm -hmm. especially in Mm -hmm. motherhood, right? So if you are trying to teach your kids how to clean a bathroom and then you don't realize how many steps are involved in cleaning a bathtub and shower or toilet until you have to actually start telling someone how to clean a toilet. And then by the time you're on like the sixth or seventh step, that's where I'm like, forget it. I'll just do it. It's like the thing that I often drop the ball on because it can be so draining to have to Mm -hmm. instruct, especially the little people in our house, but they need it so much so that they can properly learn to do these skills. Um, But yeah, it's definitely one that takes great perseverance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. We've made it all the way around the circle and we are at the final section. And this section is to direct. So direct is the closest to lead. This style uses discussion, providing people with a clear framework and outlining the desired results. There's a clear sense of direction and boundaries. The message here is how. There's that be direct point coming up again, Mm -hmm. right? From the last section. Um, But it just confirms this idea that for a lot of us, we may think that either we're being clear already Um, Or that we're being maybe pushy or bossy. But in general, um, I think that we all just appreciate the forthcomingness and the clarity when someone directs well and instructs well. And there have been times that I've half joked about just being just wanting someone to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, God, (laughs) my mom. (laughs) I think decision fatigue can pile up without us realizing it is what I'm trying to say. And it's actually a gift to be directed in certain situations where Mm -hmm. you're unsure. And so um, conversely, what are the areas that I'm naturally in the leadership position? Could I be more clear and direct? And perhaps this could be a gift of simplicity and clarity of focus for the person that I'm communicating with. Oh, I love that. I love that you said it can be a gift to the person on the receiving end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And so I, yeah, this is something I'm also working on having like setting a clear framework and boundaries. And the other thing I have to remember with the word boundaries is it's again, 
selfish me. I'm always just thinking about my own boundaries when I'm being direct. I'm like, okay, be direct and make sure that you have established your own boundaries. And so that, you know, um, I can set that up for myself, but I, I have to actually remind myself that everyone else has boundaries too. <laughs> and mm. that their boundaries are worthy of my acknowledgement and respect as well as a leader. And I think that direct it's, I think it's in an interesting position on the circle so close to lead. Um, but I think mm -hmm. it's that one when it's tempered with all of those other styles, it works beautifully, right? It's one that can't stand mm -hmm. alone, that it really is the completion of the circle. Um, that yeah, when you, when you take everything else, if, if you're somebody who's already been um, empathetic and you've connected with people and you've inspired them, then the moment when you have to be direct, they're ready to receive it. Mm, so everything yes. does work together. Yes. You're right. So it just keeps coming to mind that all of these are ideally to work in tandem with one another. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're exclusive to you or just one is your personality type, like what right. we were joking about with the quiz, right? Yep. We can be smart about how we love others well and how we lead them and how we are influencing the people around us, um, depending on the situation, the group of people. Um, and I think it's a huge part of building strong communities and serving our families well and being able to do it. I think this is what it comes down to for me with grace and charm. So being a leader and having a positive influence in our spheres of influence is something that we can do in a really positive, warm kind of a way. It doesn't have to be um, utilitarian using this diagram. It can be a tool that we use to take into our world in order to love people better. Oh, absolutely. When we were considering why this is important, I found a quote from someone named Dale Turner. And he mm -hmm. said that it's important because, quote, everything we say and do is the length and shadow of our own souls. Our influence Ooh. is determined by the quality of our being, end quote. Michelle, yeah, the length and shadow of my soul and yours, that's intense. <laughs> wow. I know. I was like, that's strong language, yeah. Dale. <laughs> yeah, Dale. <laughs> I don't know if you remember when we were reading the the long document. Um, one of the things that really jumped mm -hmm. out at me was the patterns section. Um, they identified six patterns, and they are making your mark, taking the lead, help slash support, complete um, completeness slash quality, movement and willingness. Now, I'll talk about these a little bit more right now. These patterns that they identified in these leadership styles. Uh, with making your mark, I found it really interesting that there are two opposing ways that people can make their marks. They can either inspire someone or they can oppose someone. Inspiring someone can be further broken down into convincing them and instructing them. I actually forget just how much power a person has to inspire someone or to stop them from doing something by opposing them. I know it seems so basic, but I really did forget <laughs> that our own powers of influence can be used in both ways. I also found it so interesting that this type of testing was developed for like high level leaders, like CEOs and account managers, mm. HR managers and specialists, because you and I, Michelle, um, we read through something like this and we're totally struck by how applicable this information is even for mm -hmm. just, and I have that in air quotes, right? Stay at home yes. moms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I know that many of our listeners take on different volunteer positions during their years at home or on committees and participate in organizations that their kids belong to, like sports or Boy Scouts or church organizations, whatever. 
And the mm-hmm. skills we learn belonging to those committees are often just as valuable as a per- the skills that a person learns if they are in the workforce. So having this type of knowledge as someone who is volunteering mm-hmm. is incredibly beneficial. But even if we aren't doing any of those other things, and in your season of life right now, you're just raising, just raising little people. Mm-hmm. This is still massively beneficial um, for all of us to understand. I really like that point that you were making about how this was written for a a world, we'll say, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we don't necessarily find ourselves in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find that really encouraging whenever this happens to pop up because it reminds me again that to be someone who constantly likes to learn or to grow or to improve yourself, which is something that I think all of us uh, aspire to do in our day-to-day lives, that you can reach beyond your I guess your sphere Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and take the good points from other areas of life even if it's not specifically um, marketed or directed to you and I think that is a very smart thing Um, and I think that that makes so so much of the advice and the tips for success in other areas relevant for us and I just find it empowering and it builds confidence, which then fuels our desire to learn more and to grow more and to continue to seek out these um, this information and figure out ways to apply it into where we actually do find ourselves right now. Absolutely. Because as wives and mothers, we 100% have an influential role, right? We, one, we do, whether we mm-hmm, want to mm-hmm. admit it or not. We are in a managerial role. And when my kids were toddlers, I learned early on that I'd rather prevent a tantrum than discipline my child after having one. And this act is one rooted in influence. So if I can influence my child away from whatever it was that will Mm -hmm. trigger a tantrum, then I can likely prevent it. This is an outwardly simple act of influence. But it does involve all 12 of the leadership styles if you look at just being with a toddler. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. now that I have two teenagers, let me tell you that utilizing these 12 styles effectively in order to properly form the young adults in my house right now is critically important. In fact, it's the most important thing I'm doing right now. So when I look at that chart, I really did. I could see like how it was so beneficial to influencing my toddlers to just at that point, stay alive, right? You're just basically Mm -hmm. trying to keep them alive. Uh, I've also realized I'm just trying to keep teenagers alive as well. Um, But that that influence, like really, if I can use all 12 of those um, and you need to pull those out of your hat, on the spot at all different moments. So just taking in this knowledge, like what you were saying, is just Mm -hmm. nothing but beneficial for us, regardless of the season of life we're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really comes down to, again, um, talking about influence versus control, Mm -hmm. right? What do you want to do? And I think we have to be honest and ask ourselves that question and be willing to look at what the answer is <laughs> for yeah. each one of us, right? Um, because you're right. When you talk about family, when you're talking about relationships, and even when you're talking about the corporate world, what are you trying to do exactly? Are you trying to control people um, or are you trying to 
work towards a goal, which is going to need to bring people alongside you, not have them underfoot. And so to sort through, once you determine that, yes, it is influence that we want to pursue, then you can take these resources and these tools and they make a lot more sense. And I think that they're a lot more effective with the right intention at heart. So I think it's safe to say that we are walking away from these two episodes with a newfound appreciation for our ability to influence the people in our lives, you know, our husbands, our children, our friends and family, as well as the committees and volunteer positions that we are a part of. We will now be far more intentional in wielding our influence in a way that brings out the best in people. And with this knowledge, we can be better leaders and better followers. And we will share content in a way that strengthens relationships, which will hopefully leave everyone in our spheres feeling heard, appreciated, and valued. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, Michelle, you got me turned on to an Instagram account um, in honor of design a few years ago, Mm. and I love that family. And I especially love and share Anna's adoration of the film You've Got Mail, which I've talked about before on the podcast. (laughs) So I decided that if Anna and I both love that movie that much, then I could possibly trust her and watch another favorite movie of hers called Letters to Juliet. Have you seen Letters Mm. to Juliet? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. This is so exciting then. Yes. I thought I'll okay. Just, okay. Okay. <laughs> so normally I am not a cheesy romantic movie type of person, but in a world as heavy as ours right now, like we were saying even mm. last week with Cranford, a little break from all that seriousness is just what we need. Um, so it is charming and sweet. And of course it's 100% predictable, but it's a nice movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released in 2010 and I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. And it's about a young woman and her fiance. He is a chef about to open up his own restaurant. And she's a wannabe writer, as they all are. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They they travel to Verona, Italy, the setting of Romeo and Juliet, right? Uh, And they're having a little vacation before they get married. Now, her fiance is very distracted by all the food and wine that he's sourcing for his restaurant. So Sophie is left alone uh, a lot. She decides to visit the location known as Juliet's Courtyard, and it has the famed balcony and all. And there Mm. she observes women tearfully sticking up these letters all on the wall. And she hangs out for the day, and she sees another woman come at the end of the day collecting all of the letters. And she follows her. And she discovers that there's this group of women who call themselves Juliet's and they answer all of the letters that were left on the wall every day. Uh Uh-huh. Which is a really cute concept. Uh Uh-huh. So Sophie later goes back and she finds a very old letter that's hidden in the wall and it's a 50 year old letter. And she decides to play Juliet and write back that woman, even though it's been 50 years. Well, that woman, played by the uh, gorgeous Vanessa Redgrave, she travels Mm. back to Verona to see if she can reconnect with the man she loved 50 years before and to see if true love is still true even 50 years later. Um, I think there was one swear word. I don't recall any blasphemy. And it's just a really great mother-daughter movie night. Mm. Oh my goodness. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. You really sold that. Oh, yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. And so I think it's exactly, again, I know we're moving into our favorite season of the year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it might not be a movie night with Phil, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a girl's night. It's okay. Yeah. I'll try to squeeze it in between all my K-dramas. He'll yes. be thrilled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what have you been loving this week? So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was just starting to get into some calisthenics, mm-hmm. right? And yes. body weight exercising. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. You mentioned Jack LaLanne. Yes. And his videos are on YouTube and they are truly amazing to watch. <gasps> oh. <laughs> They're great. But that's not what I'm loving oh. this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Up, you brought me all the way up and then knocked me right back down. <laughs> yes, come back down with me now. <laughs> no, to something that will lift you back up again. Okay. So, <laughs> this YouTube channel that I found is called, um, well, it's run by this woman named Lucy Lismore. Mm. And this is where calisthenics are at for me. Now, I have never worked harder at a workout in my life, (laughs) but I'm just, yeah, I'm just so enamored with how simple yet effective this type of exercise is in general. And then how Lucy presents her workouts is really fantastic. So one of the things I love about her workout videos is that she doesn't talk through them Mm. like at all, except for the warm up and stretch at the end. Instead, she's incorporated a timer at the bottom corner of the screen that beeps the last three seconds before you change exercises. Mm. And that while that counter is going, there's a small box in the upper corner showing you your next move. Mm. So for me, this makes the whole workout really relaxing, oddly, um, which is not something you may associate with exercise. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yet, mentally, I can kind of space out. And then her music choices are pretty chill. So I find it a great combination of the two. And so then going along with that, the other thing I really love about her videos is that she actually pauses between her exercises for about 10 seconds. And I know this seems like such a small thing, but, you know, I didn't even think before that I was missing that pause in a lot of workout videos Mm. when sometimes they even try to flow right into the next move. Um, And so, yeah, I think this style just contributes to that calm factor. And it gives me a chance to shake out my arms or my legs because make no mistake, just because I'm using the word calm a lot does not mean (laughs) that these are easy. So I will just wrap up uh, with one more point because I feel like I could go on and on. Um, But the last thing that I really love about her channel and which I think that other people will find interesting too is that Lucy also includes videos about her own personal journey into Mm. fitness. And it's been really recent. Um, And I find her story interesting um, because of where she started from, how she got into this lifestyle and this form of exercise and the process that it took her um, to get to where she is now. That's awesome. I could have never predicted, and you know, in all of our trends episodes we do for mm-hmm. year, that calisthenics would be something. Yeah. But I bet you're onto something. I will make a mm-hmm. prediction right now that that will be a new trend going forward. I think that that sounds awesome. And as you know, I burned my hand. Yes. So using my kettlebells probably won't be something I can do for a while. And <laughs> this body's mm-hmm. had a lot of cookies. So I will try that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it, I think it's great, actually, for that's one of the things that I love about it is that it seems like something that's easy to pick up Mm -hmm. no matter where you're at. But it also has shown me, I will just say that 
in addition to strength and endurance, how much I also need to focus on balance and flexibility Mm, as well. It has shown me how lacking I am in certain, um, like even for balance, the one side of my body is less stable than the other. Mm -hmm. And I've just been finding it like that two-week experiment that we often perform with ourselves (laughs) when we're trying anything new. This has been really educational as well as something that I know is really good for me physically. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.